The Holy Gospel according to John, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. The Gospel of John is written in a style unlike the other three Gospels. I'm sure you know that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels in that they all follow a more or less similar synopsis or summary of the life of Jesus. Very broadly speaking, these three Gospels include similar miracles, sermons, and public events and offer a chronological account of the birth, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. These three Gospels march to a similar beat of a drum. And then there's John. John's Gospel is a poem using rich and magnificent language to describe who this person of Jesus is. John dramatically describes seven signs culminating in the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which of course foreshadows Jesus' own death and resurrection. This gospel is punctuated by I am statements repeated to emphasize who Jesus is and why Jesus has come into this world, including 
I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and others. If you did a search of John and read only his I am statements, you would find that they alone paint an exquisite portrait of Jesus. This miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 in today's gospel, is the only miracle recorded in all four gospel accounts. Within the gospel of John, there's a very distinct rhythm, which is beautifully and in my mind somewhat comically illustrated in today's gospel. And it all has to do with John's masterful use of language. Okay, so pay attention. In this reading, the crowds chase Jesus down, and so Jesus runs up the mountain. The sun comes up, and Jesus sits down. Jesus looks up to see the crowd, and then looks down at Philip to ask him what they're supposed to do about it. The people sit down, and Jesus stands up. He lifts the bread and the fish up, and then they are distributed to the people sitting down. The fragments of leftovers are gathered up and placed down into deep baskets. After the crowds have been fed, Jesus again goes up the mountain, but this time the disciples go down to the sea. The sun goes down and the wind picks up. From their boat on the sea, they see Jesus walking towards them on the water and they throw their hands up in fear and Jesus tells them to calm down. This linguistic pattern is interesting and even amusing in that it helps us visualize the motion and activity captured in this gospel. There's another literary tool used in this passage that lends itself to this sense of curiosity, amusement, and in this case, irony, my favorite literary tool. The crowds follow Jesus far outside of town because they have seen and witnessed his miraculous acts of healing for the sick. They are fascinated and they are curious, so much so that they follow him outside of town carrying no provisions for themselves, neither food, nor drink to combat hunger or the sun's scorching heat. Is this foolishness? Or is this an enormous act of trust and faith on behalf of this crowd that having seen these miracles with the sick, this Jesus would surely take care of them? Meanwhile, the disciples, those carefully chosen, and selected by Jesus, ironically seem to display a serious lack of trust and faith when they see Jesus walking towards them on the sea. So then, the ones that are really not supposed to get it, do. And the ones that are supposed to get it, don't. There seems to be a serious role reversal in this gospel. The ones who are out are suddenly in, and the ones who are in find themselves frighteningly out. So, what to make of all this business of in and out and up and down? Here is where John dazzles. Here is where we enter the story. Anyone who has, over time, felt their faith vacillate between up and down finds a point of entry into this gospel. Anyone who has felt like 
You sometimes get it, and then the next minute, oh, I don't get it, finds a place in this story. Anyone who has felt like their life of faith seems to be on a roller coaster of highs and lows, of trust followed by deep bouts of doubt and despair, resonates with this gospel. And anyone who has felt profoundly shattered and fragmented like those bits of leftover bread discovers that they have value and place in this story of Jesus. About eight or nine years ago, while still serving my two congregations in Calamus, the boys at that time would have been six, seven, and eight. It was our custom on Sunday mornings in Calamus following the sermon to allow significant silence for meditation and contemplation around three or four minutes. That might not sound like it's a long time, but you'd be surprised how much can happen during three or four minutes when you have three children who are six, seven, and eight who are being cared for by the choir up in the balcony. You should know this happened during a period when Jacob felt particular disdain for all things church and for several weeks chose that post-sermon silence to express this dislike loudly. One morning, he shattered the post-sermon silence by yelling from the balcony at the top of his lungs, I hate this place and I hate you people. Which was followed quickly by Christian replying to him in an equally loud voice, Oh, Jacob, nobody wants to be here, but we come here anyway. <laughs> All the while, though, my eyes were glued to Philip, who was suspiciously scrawling on the back of a bulletin and fashioning it into a paper airplane. He held it high, ready to launch, and then our eyes met. I shook my head, mouthing the words, Don't you dare. Only to see him released the airplane, which sailed ever so elegantly around the sanctuary before landing on the lap of one Shirley Ferguson, who was not at all amused to read a rather exhaustive list of square words scribbled in crayon on the back of a bulletin as she fanned herself with her hymnal. A lot can happen in three or four minutes. What played out that morning was the reality that in church that Sunday morning and every Sunday morning, there are the profane, the rebellious, and the painfully honest. That Sunday and every Sunday, Christians gather who are impious, imperfect, impatient. That Sunday and every Sunday and every day in between, Christians find our faith up and down. We find ourselves comfortably in and then suddenly out. And we feel encouraged sometimes that maybe we get it, only to be convinced that we will never, ever really get it. On our best days, we feel no better than those fragments of bread swept up from the floor, picked up off the grass, tossed into baskets like spiritual leftovers, stuffed into Tupperware and packed away in the fridge, forgotten and waiting to be thrown out. But there is grace here. We are Midwestern Lutherans, for heaven's sakes, and we know exactly what to do with fragments and leftovers, bits and pieces. We make casseroles or hot dishes, depending on your tradition, and they are delicious. Deep down, then, we know that there is value and worth in these fragmented bits and pieces. 
And there is value and worth in our fragmented selves, even if it's hard to admit, because that somehow might sound like bragging. And so Jesus then gathers up our fragmented selves, our broken bits and pieces, and makes of us something most beautiful, and that is his kingdom. We who sometimes get it, but most of the time don't, find hope in the reality that it is for the most broken that Jesus came, that it is for the most crushed that Jesus died, and that it is for the most hopeless that Jesus lives to gather us all up and to bring life and healing to all. Amen.